funny thing happened on the way to your first year of college in Wisconsin where you wanted to study the tech side of theater. Namely, you ended up backstage in a foreign land, learning how to train your spotlight on none other than Mary Poppins, and possibly asking yourself, how do I say supercalifragilisticexpialidocious in German? You're listening to 2233, a podcast of exchange stories. As I began organizing my suitcases, getting ready to leave, felt this overwhelming surge of both excitement and confusion, having no idea where I was going to be living, knowing that I would be with a host family, probably a host family that spoke primarily German, and knowing that I didn't speak any at this point. (laughs) Be okay with things that you don't know beforehand and just being willing to throw yourself into unknown situations. This week, Bigfoot meets Mary Poppins. Staying alive meets polka. And what happens when you turn the handle the wrong way? Join us on a journey from Waterford, Wisconsin to Hamburg, Germany, and diving fearlessly into a new culture. It's 2233. We report what happens in the United States, warts and all. These exchanges shaped who I am. When you get to know these people, they're not quite like you. You read about them. They are people very much like ourselves. And oh, that's what we call cultural exchange. Ooh, yes. My name is Graham Gross. I live in Waterford, Wisconsin. I took part this last year in the Congress Bundestag Vocational Youth Exchange, and I was stationed in Hamburg, Germany. I heard about the Congress Bundestag Youth Exchange. I thought back to a time when I had visited Europe with my grandparents when I was 11 years old. I had a travel bug, and while I was very interested in going to college for the next year, I had been hearing these wonderful stories of people who have taken gap years, and I thought, this is me. This is me written all over it. So I applied for the program. I had planned originally to begin my year of university, my four years of university, in a college technical theater program at the University of Wisconsin-Stevens Point. I wanted to increase safety in the theater. I had been really involved in lighting in the theater and audio, and I began to notice that some of the practices that we were using weren't safe. And so I put together a resume, both in English and in German, and I got a bid back from Walt Disney from the Mary Poppins Theater in Hamburg. And so that was the beginning of my first steps toward Germany. The first day that I got to Germany, it was about 2 o'clock p.m., I had just gotten to my house, uh, the, the family that I was staying with way outside the city. I 
was greeted by the mother of the family and she showed me around the house and showed me my bed and I promptly fell asleep <laughs> and I continued to sleep for about 14 hours. I was uh, woken up the next day uh, by my host father who came downstairs and said, hello, Mr. President, uh, we would like to greet you with your favorite meal of burgers. Please come upstairs. <laughs> And it was at that moment that I immediately felt at home uh, in this very strange place that I really hadn't seen much of looking out the bus at uh, 8 a.m. when we had gotten there. You're absolutely certain to be confronted if something is out of the ordinary. I can remember one very strong example where I had a winter jacket, and this particular winter jacket was a gift from my first host family. It was a it was a winter jacket that they had received from their uncle, and it was uh, too big for anyone in the family, and they kind of gave it to me as a present because I didn't bring one with to Germany. My luggage would have been too heavy. So I was wearing it around this 3XL jacket. I looked like a giant marshmallow. <laughs> but my host family in Hamburg, of course, had a very different perception of this jacket. It wasn't okay. They said, you know, you have to go out and buy a different jacket. You can't wear that. I said, well, it works. You know, I can stuff as many sweaters and things up here. And they said, well, you look silly. You look like a marshmallow man. And I'm like, that's kind of my thing. <laughs> And they didn't really take too kindly to that, I'll be honest. Um, and they let me know that. Things like that, Germans are very direct and upfront about. And I started not only becoming more okay with that, but noticing it myself. I remember having a phone call with my parents around Christmas time. And uh, my brother was wearing a sweater that had a hole in it. And I told him he should take it off and go put on a different one. And they all started laughing at me. <laughs> and it was at that point, I'm like, you know... I don't need to tell other people what they, what they should do or what they should be like. I'm like, I notice those things, but I've got to stop being the policeman and I've got to just focus on being between these two different worlds. Who am I in between these two cultures that I can participate in these conversations and I can say, like, yeah, if we're going to a nice family dinner, I'll change my shirt. I understand that that's something that's bothering you, but I don't need to be that superhero that's saving the world for everybody wearing a shirt with a hole in it. <laughs> One moment that I can be especially proud of was actually not too long into my exchange. It had been about a month. I was feeling a little down I'll be honest, the initial curve of the excitement of being in Germany, the rush of getting to learn German and seeing all of these different cities, it had kind of settled down because I was into this daily routine of school and sports and eating and sleeping and just kind of managing the aspects of life. And I didn't know enough German at that point to go up to my German friends at school and say, hey, invite me to your parties, you know, take me to the really cool parts of town and show me around. And it was about a month in when I got a text from one of my friends on the program, Justin. And he told me that his host family was taking a short weekend vacation to come up to Hamburg to visit. And so he said he wanted to meet up with me. Of course, I was ecstatic. I said, yeah, absolutely, we're going to meet up. But... I'm going to talk to you in German. 
Then he didn't write me back for a while and I got kind of worried. I'm like, oh no, has he changed his plans? But Justin was a really good sport about it and he's like, okay, alles klar. So we met on the Landungsbrücken in Hamburg, probably one of the most memorable places if you've seen pictures. I hadn't had a point before that where I wasn't tripping over my grammar. We were both amazed by how well that we could talk to each other. And so we did it the whole night, walking around the city and just goofing around on playgrounds and hanging out by the harbor. And when we met with Justin's host family, we all went out to dinner. I talked to them and began to explain my experiences. And they said, oh, you know, we can understand you really well. Like you've come a long way. And I just, at that point, I was really proud. And I went, you know, I can do this. And I kind of held on to that moment. I had a picture of the two of us, uh, you know, when we met each other then in the harbor and I kind of put that up above my computer, you know, on my desk as kind of a, a day in Germany that I was like, this was the turning point when I began to realize that I could do it again. I think one of the things that I learned about myself as an American living outside of America, one of the most important things to Germans is talking about politics, something that's always brought up at the dinner table, something that you really can't avoid. You kind of shrink into the corner of the tablecloth and <laughs> everyone's talking about US politics. They've got relevant things up on the TV, the German media is all over it. And it was at that point that I began being more comfortable talking about politics, especially in social media at home. I was very intimidated by a lot of the people that very actively expressed their political opinion. And it was an adjustment for me to come to Germany and to see so many people not only very vividly expressing their political opinions, but then also listening to other people and saying, I understand why you feel this way. Or, I will listen to you because I know that it's important to honor your opinion. And I think sometimes in America we forget that. I really treasure that as one of the, the most important things that I learned this year because I've learned how to discuss politics in a more humane manner and to not have it be so taboo as it once was in the United States. While it's still probably not the best thing to bring up at Thanksgiving dinner, it's certainly something now that I think if I had a debate in the university or a talk with my grandmother, something like this, I could handle a little bit better. I think one of the biggest things for me, one of the biggest changes in my life, absolutely was the idea of being a more mobile person. In Germany, I really learned how to seek out things for myself. When I was living in Lübeck, I'd been playing the trumpet for about nine years. I knew that I wanted to continue playing trumpet in Germany. So I sought out if I could be part of a local community band, something like this. There weren't a whole lot of options, but the group that I ended up settling on was a firefighters band. Uh, for the local group in Lübeck. A lot of older men and women and all very, very uh, difficult accents to understand. But I really developed some hard friendships with those people. 
and we bonded over music. We just kind of understood why we were there and to play Stayin' Alive together <laughs> and to rock out on amazing trumpet solos and to get those looks back at you when you really did hit those notes. I think we understood each other better in that moment than anything that I could have said with words. That's something that I want to continue doing in my life. Seeking out those opportunities and not being afraid to go walk into a dance class and go, Hi, my name is Graham and I've never danced in my life before, but I want to right now. Pretty much any polka or waltz. Those aren't necessarily things that are so German or so from that area, but they're things that um, we kind of played as jokes when the band director was getting a little frustrated with us because things weren't going so well like she wanted them to. Uh, somebody had started polka and it'd just kind of go around the room and one of the saxophones would start and then a tuba and so we just just kind of like get this beat going and she just kind of put her head down for five minutes and go oh my god you guys really we're gonna do this right now <laughs> and just kind of give up I got to know the people around me a little bit better and to know their stories. I became really close friends with, I guess, the leader of the, the trumpet section, Claudius, as we talked a little bit more about my story. And he told me just to make sure that music is always part of my life. And he said, having experiences like this, where you seek out other people who don't necessarily share the same culture, the same history, the same ideas, um, but we all come together because we're under one roof, and that roof is that we all play music. And so it's finding those places where people meet, where you can learn about other cultures, about other histories, other stories, but you're doing it because you're already doing something that you love. So I began working for Disney's production of Mary Poppins in Hamburg. It was a trilingual environment. I found myself often being able to learn the really complex compound words that German is famous for. The official name of my job actually would be a Veranstaltungstechniker uh, or a Beleuchtungstechniker. Um, which basically just means light technician or, or show technician. So just having this sort of experience, something greater than myself, and being able to live out that dream was amazing.
I was introduced on my first day to the stage manager who took me around the entire building, started at the very, very top of the loft where all the curtains are hung. I got a complete rundown on everything in the theater. At that point, he said, okay, we'd like to take you down onto the stage now. We need to get you some security shoes, some uh, steel toe shoes. What size is your foot? And in American sizes, my feet are about 14. In German, that translates to about 46, 47. And when my boss heard that, he kind of freaked out. <laughs> He's like, my goodness, you have big feet. And it was at that point that I, Graham Gross, uh, became known as Gross Fuss Gross. So big feet Graham, which became my nickname and everybody used. They all thought was, of course, really funny. Me too, honestly. had to go over to the other theater uh, immediately next door because I needed a pair of security shoes. And so we walked over there and he introduced me to the director of The Lion King. The first trip that I had ever been to Europe in the first place, I had visited Italy with my grandparents for two weeks and we took a side trip after that to London. The show I saw in London was The Lion King. I absolutely 100% accredit that experience to wanting to study in Germany and to wanting to be on Broadway theater, to pursue music, to pursue theater, to keep art in my life, and to be able to see the behind the scenes of this show. The director was actually so kind as to give me tickets to come over and see the show. Being able to understand almost 90% of the show in German just gave me this incredible feeling of empowerment that I could do anything I wanted to now. After I had that experience, it really became just a playground for me. I was doing everything from building special three-phase power cables. That was, in essence, the, the first part of my job. As soon as I became more familiar with the show, I had seen it a couple times, sat in the audience, knew every move from the opening of the curtains to when Mary Poppins flies out on a gantry at the end. At that point, I then worked up the courage to ask if I could become a spotlight operator. And my boss kind of looked at me and he smiled and he said, you know, I know you've been looking up there and like... I could tell when we were up there, you kind of sat up there and played around for a bit. And you, you know, I think we could do that. We could do that for you. And so I began training. I was learning in English and in German because there were just some things that were very crucial for me to understand at the, at the last possible minute. But during the show, all of my directions were being given to me in German. So I was receiving cues. I had a cue list in front of me that was written, I guess, I'd call it Dinglish, uh, Deutsch and English, German English. And as I got the routine down, I became comfortable with being the spotlight number two. I became then a more indispensable employee because I could move from one to the other. If somebody was sick, I could take that on. 
for the last month they let me operate the lighting board. So I was pushing the cues that created the lighting looks on stage that allowed the show to move forward. I was taking in information literally in fractions of seconds, being able to react and hit the button, and knowing that if I wasn't giving 110% of my concentration, the singers were literally going to stand on stage and not move until I pushed that button, no matter what music was played, no matter what cues were given. And I really put my head down and I gave it my all. My German just skyrocketed through the roof because at that point I knew I was taking in so much information, I could handle anything. One of the most interesting things about working on Broadway is absolutely special effects. I am a person who just absolutely loses it over special effects. And one of my favorite things about Mary Poppins is a particular scene uh, when she enters the kitchen and she gives the children their uh, spoonful of sugar. She's talking about the, the medicine. The children, of course, make a mess of the kitchen. And when they're banging around with pots and pans, they force Robertson eye into kind of this corner. He backs into the kitchen sink, breaks a valve, and CO2 gas comes flying out everywhere across the stage. And I learned then how all of this was prepared, how all of the pyrotechnics were arranged. I was allowed to help with the filling of the CO2 canisters. So we prepared everything on Monday night, everything was arranged, and uh, they showed me how to safely attach the canisters, how to fill everything up. We had to wear gloves, of course, because it was below freezing, well below freezing. We then brought the cans down into the basement, of course, secured everything. One particular note about the tension I didn't understand completely. And I had asked a couple times, I wanted to make sure, how many turns do I turn the nozzle? I was told three and a half. I of course thought it was in the left direction, but it was supposed to be in the right direction. So I of course opened it up way too much. And by the time we got to the performance, of course I was working, I was sitting up on a spotlight. So I was looking at all of this from upstairs and it's my favorite scene. So I always watch it really closely. And Roberts and I backed up into the sink and he put his elbow out to knock down the uh, sink valve like he always does. And there just came out this huge fart of cold air, just like blop. <laughs> and I, <laughs> I had to stop myself from laughing myself, literally falling off the balcony because I knew immediately what had happened. And everybody in the audience, of course, thought it was hilarious, but they always laugh because it's a funny scene. So it really wasn't that big of an issue. But my boss did come up to me after, after the show and he said, what on earth happened with that? I'm like, I honestly think I, I turned it in the wrong direction. And he's like, yeah, that would do that. <laughs> I have had a lot of positive experiences during my year in Germany. I was surprised on the very last day of my show with a cake, and they all came down into the workshop. They actually called me over the 
speaker to pick up a phone. And so I picked up the phone and the the technical director of the theater kind of took on a rough tone and he's like, you need to come down to the to the warehouse immediately. And I'm like, oh crap, what did I do? <laughs> I was my legs were shaking and 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 I uh I was like, I don't know what's going on here. But they turned on the lights and surprised me. And uh we we talked and we ate. If I was to lock myself in a room and turn the lights off and try to sit down and imagine what being in Hamburg is like, it's strange because I came from a very small town in Wisconsin. I'm used to having cows roaming around me all the time and taking 10, 20 minute drives to visit friends and to go to places. And in Hamburg, everything felt so much more close. It felt around me, it kind of felt like uh, being wrapped in this envelope of exciting, whizzing adventure. The Hamburger Dom is a big festival that goes on three times a year. They bring in um, entertainment from all over Europe. They have uh, different roller coaster rides, things like this, food vendors. I think that was going there with my colleagues was probably one of the most highlighting experiences for me, just being able to experience like that uh, city festival life. Many of my mornings, I would get to work very early because I had a long commute, and I would just sit on the on the harbor every morning. I would watch the huge freight liners go by. I would eat my pretzel and uh, sip my tea, and just sit out on the harbor. Sometimes, uh, you know, I'd have a seagull come land by me and come like poke around in my in my coffee, and like, oh, that's interesting. What are you doing there? <laughs> just kind of always having that that little peak of interesting that pops into your life when you're not expecting it. Those are the things I think I'll miss most about Hamburg and, and the mobility and just being able to see my friends whenever I wanted, being able to roam around, just being able to explore in my free time, walk around a new place, see what the people are like, where they live. It's something that I definitely didn't take granted for and I never will. is produced by The Collaboratory, an initiative within the U.S. State Department's Bureau of Educational and Cultural Affairs, better known as ECA. My name's Christopher Wurst. I'm the director of The Collaboratory. 2233 is named for Title 22, Chapter 33 of the U.S. Code, the statute that created ECA. And our stories come from participants of U.S. government-funded international exchange programs. This week, Graham Gross talked about his time in Germany as a participant in the Congress Bundestag Youth Exchange, or CBYX, program. For more about CBYX and other ECA exchange programs, check out eca.state.gov. We encourage you to subscribe to 2233. Leave us a nice review while you're at it. You would be so kind. And we'd love to hear from you. You can write to us at ecacollaboratory at state.gov. That's E-C-A-C-O-L-L-A-B-O-R-A-T-O-R-Y at state.gov. Photos of each week's interviewee and complete episode transcripts can be found at our webpage at eca.state.gov slash 2233. Special thanks to Graham for his stories and music. 
I did the interview and edited this segment. Featured music was Sneak by A.A. Alto. Anniversary song by Blanket Music. Home Bass Groove by Kevin McLeod. And The Envelope and Waterborne, both by Blue Dot Sessions. You also got to hear some actual music being laid down by Graham's adopted firefighter band, officially called, stick with me here, people, I don't speak German, Musikzug der Freiwilligen Feuerwehr Reinfeld. Got a ring to it. Music at the top of each episode is Sebastian by How the Night Came, and the end credit music is Two Pianos by Tagir Lius. Until next time. <laughs>